how much is enough? We just sang about that, right? You can have all this world, but just give me Jesus. And so the question that's before us today as we enter into this passage of Scripture is this. How much is enough? That's what we're going to have to wrestle with today. Uh, For John D. Rockefeller, who was the richest individual in American business and economic history, the answer to that question was just a little bit more. Remember that? And I just think about it, like, how, how is that the answer, right? How, how could that really possibly be the answer for, for the richest, you know, businessman in business and economic American history? How could that be the answer? Just a little bit more. And this is a passage that serves as a warning to those who are tempted to trust in their riches more than the God who gives the riches. In this passage, I believe that James is condemning those who have exchanged the eternal God for temporal treasures. And just so that we all know, that's not a good exchange. That's not some bargain that you go bragging about if that's what you've done. That's actually evidence of debased thinking if you think that way. And the mindset of the people that we're going to read about in James chapter 5 has similarities to the people that Paul addressed and wrote about in Romans chapter 1 verse 29. The James 5 crowd characters give full evidence of people who were, according to Paul, filled with all manner of unrighteousness. They were evil. They were covetousness. They had malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and maliciousness. And in our passage today, we're going to see evidence of evil and covetousness and envy and even fraudulent deceit and murder in James chapter 5. Those aren't good things to see if you look in the mirror and you see those things in your life. If you look in the mirror and you see those things in our lives, what we will be staring at is evidence of being given over to the pursuit of something, that which is not God. And so this week, I couldn't help but think this thought as I was preparing this message. If there is any demographic of humans who have ever occupied planet earth that need to listen to the stern warning found in James chapter 5 verses 1 through 6, it would be 21st century Americans. This is a passage that I had better pay attention to. And that all of us need to pay attention to. And so here as we begin and as we give ourselves to the reading of this text, to all the residents of Whatcom County, in Washington State, in the United States of America in the year 2023, come now, listen up to what James was led to say to his original audience. Let his message ring down through the centuries and resound with clarity in our ears. Oh Lord, give us ears 
to hear what the message is today. Let's turn in James chapter 5. If you're not there already, go there. The words will be on the screen, but follow along in a copy of the own scriptures that you have in front of you. And let's give ourselves to the listening and the obeying and the trusting of this word when James was led to say this. James 5, 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of your laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Let's pray. Oh God, this word is to be believed in all that it teaches, is to be obeyed in all that it commands, and is to be trusted in all that it promises. And so God, we give ourselves to the instruction of your word now, and certainly this is a hard passage to think about, given our cultural context and what year we find ourselves living in, surrounded by so many blessings that we can find our comfort in, ultimately more than you. And so God, I pray that we would come now, that we'd listen that we'd grab our attention here, and that you would tell us the truth. Your word is truth. So God, help us to believe it and obey it and trust it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What we're going to see here is the passage really breaks down into three sections, and we're going to just kind of walk our way through the passage, and then we're going to end up at a so now what point of the message. Okay, so let's walk on this pathway together as we go through James 5, kind of verse by verse, and make some uh, interpretation along the way, and then ri- arrive at a so now what section. So James chapter 5, verse 1, is really a segment of its own where we're going to see the condemnation of the rich. James is going to say, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So from the get-go, we've got to understand this. This is a warning. This is a warning. The opening statement indicates not just a possible problem, but rather an actual impending danger that is certain to come. Many of you know this. I was actually just talking to somebody before the service about tornado warnings, right? I grew up in Kansas, and growing up in Kansas, sometimes they would issue tornado warnings when they noticed circulation in the clouds on, or maybe just on radar, but there was no official tornado on the ground, right? But they'd say, hey, there's this warning that the, 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 the conditions are right for this to happen. Well, that's not the case with this warning. This is saying that we have storm spotters out. We have eyewitness confirmation that there is a violent monster EF5 tornado on the ground heading your way. Brace yourself for some unpleasant impact. That's a warning, and this is a warning that you just simply can't ignore without massive consequences. 
And we saw the same verbiage in our passage last week when we looked at James chapter 4, verse 13. We commented that when James starts with the words, come now, it's maybe better to be felt than to be heard. Come now really has more of the feel of now listen, is what James is trying to say here. And it's meant to be negative in its thrust. It's meant to grab our attention in a blunt, straightforward, abrupt, shortened to the point sort of way. We made that comment last week. So sometimes we need to feel the force of words. For instance, this isn't come now. This is come now. Do you see the difference? One's almost like an invitation, right, to participate in some sort of discussion. Come now. And the other one is a stern warning of impending danger, like come now. Any parents ever said that to your kids, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? This isn't an invitation to discussion, right, (laughs) when you use that tone, right? So there's a stern warning of impending danger. Well, then we ask ourselves, well, then who needs to be warned? Who needs to be warned about this impending danger that's coming? And James says, I'll tell you, it's the rich. The rich. Now, James has already talked about these categorical people in James chapter 1, verses 10 through 11, he's talked about him in chapter 2, verses 5 through 6, and now it comes up again in chapter 5. So three times in this short book, James is compelled to address this people group, the rich, the wealthy. These well-off, well-to-do people are being addressed three times in James's short epistle. And I think the people that James had in mind, listen carefully, especially when you consider the whole passage were wealthy landowners. So I think that this passage is primarily and mostly about actual material wealth and finances, but I do believe that a case can be made for being rich in more than just a financial way. For instance, when Paul speaks to Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus, when he's writing his first epistle, he talks about being rich in good works. Not just like in a, in a categorical financial material way, but rich in, in good works. And we're actually going to reference that passage later on. So I believe that we actually have opportunities to be rich in multiple ways. So let's just go down that pathway for just a few moments. And we'll go back to the main teaching of of material wealth in a moment. But first of all, think about the blessings of the riches that we have to grow spiritually. You can basically listen to any pastor you want to through the medium of podcasts and online streaming technology. You can be discipled by the pastor of your choice without ever attending the congregation that he preaches to. You can read so many different books or articles You can listen to podcasts like Review Preview, where Marilyn Gross knocked it out of the park this week. Yeah. Everybody's like, what are you talking about? Listen for it. You can buy nearly every color or style or version of the Bible you want. Study Bible, large print Bible, archaeological Bible, Bible prophecy Bible, heirloom Bible, study Bible, journaling Bible. It's almost absurd, right? When you look at that, like the, the, the opportunities that we have that are before us. You can watch a 1,000 hours of right now media streaming to your personal device or your television. You can go to one of the 1,000 churches in Linden, right, to scratch your religious consumeristic itch, right, for that season. The potential spiritual nourishment 
that we have at our fingertips today gives the grounds for the statement Jesus once made long ago to Peter when he said to him, Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they've entrusted much, they will demand the more. In our world today, we have so many opportunities to get puffed up with a lot of spiritual knowledge that we never actually put into action in our lives. And may that not be our case here. May that just not be the case And oh, by the way, side note, we've already been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. (laughs) We've been richly blessed and richly resourced spiritually. I think we can also experience like a physical richness too. Think about all the development and like scientific technologies to like develop your body physically. Synergistic body weight exercises, fun runs, gym memberships. Nutritional information is posted on food so that you can make better informed decisions about what you're putting into your body. You know, you can be overwhelmed just trying to pick out what type of yogurt to buy that week, you know, at the grocery store. It's like, how many options do we actually have, right? And sometimes in our attempts to take care of this body that serves as God's temple, sometimes we can actually slip into vanity with it. And we end up worshiping our bodies instead of the God who indwells our bodies because we like worship at the idol and the sacrifice at the altar of physical fitness. We can be rich socially. So many opportunities for recreating with friends, sporting events that we can either watch or participate in. There can be so many clubs to belong to or so many social media opportunities where we seem to be obsessed with quantity You know, just a few more friends that can follow me or that I can follow. If I had just a few more likes on my videos, who needs God when I have people pining to build up my own self-worth every time I post something in a public setting? All of these blessings of riches can subtly capture our hearts and displace the one who can actually really fill the void. That's not good. And so although this passage is primarily concerned about amassing material wealth, I think we ought to consider how we may be rich in more than just material ways today. Because if we trust in anything besides God to sustain us or that causes us to feel a false sense of comfort, I think this warning needs to be heard and responded to. So I think just by nature of the fact that we live in 2023, we, we should just listen, <laughs> Because of all the blessings and riches that we have in such a, so many different ways in our lives. One commentator said this, In the Western world, where amassing material wealth is not only condoned, but admired, we Christians need to come to grips with this point in James's bringing up and ask ourselves seriously, when do we have too much? When do we have too much? Or when is it enough? When is enough? Ironically, I was thinking about this this week. The more stuff and the gadgets and the trinkets and the luxuries that we accumulate, actually the more problems we introduce into our lives. Just ask anyone who has ever had the motor brake that operates on their automatic door on their minivan, right? You like can't get into that thing and then you got to spend like $1,400 to fix it, right? Or when you're locked out of one of your many online accounts that were initially set up to make your life easier. Have you seen the new Google commercial, Google Chrome commercial? I love that one. You haven't seen it? It's fine. All right. (laughs) Or when you bury your face in your phone, you create all sorts of disconnections with those in your car 
or around the table or around the living room or around your youth group meeting. Because we just have so many resources to us. We're just so blessed by so many things. And we've given our heart to them. So this message, this warning is toward those who are rich. And here the message that James has for those contented, rich people that he's writing to. He says, weep and howl. Whoa. Weep and howl. That is like an unexpected message to those who have safely cocooned themselves in a life filled with comfort. Why should I weep? Why should I howl? I have everything I need. Safely cocooned here in my life of comfort. Why should the rich weep and howl? And this is actually an interesting combination of words that James uses. Weeping, we're probably familiar with because we understand crying. And we think that weeping is just like a ramped up version of that, right? But what about howling? Howling? That seems to be more reserved for the animal kingdom, James. But James isn't talking about some lonely wolf on a distant hillside as he sees a full moon rising. James says that these inarticulate shrieks of terror are being produced by the vocal cords of the rich as he meets out miseries on them on his day of judgment. Howling, weeping, gnashing of teeth is not something that I want to experience. The wealth that has been accumulated by these people promised to have a way that would avoid pain and suffering, but pain and suffering is what it actually delivered them. The ease and the comfort that they were seeking by accumulating and amassing all these things actually eluded these people. Because if you replace God with money, or anything for that matter, your universe that you have constructed is disordered. And one day, it will be set right when God forcefully assumes his rightful position in your life as your knee bows and your tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Jesus plainly said in Matthew 6, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other one, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's plain. It's plain teaching. It's not like a riddle or parable of Jesus there. We know that the old hymn says, you know, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Some of it would say, some of us are like, that's my favorite song, I love that song. But sadly, in reality, if the truth be told for some of us, this is a more accurate reflection of what we trust in. Tis so sweet to trust in money, just to make a little more, just to rest in its sure promise, makes me say, who needs the Lord? Money, money, how I trust it, how I proved it over and o'er. Money, money, precious money, oh, to make a little more. 
right? It's comical, it's satirical. I ruined your favorite hymn. (laughs) But sadly, this is what happens to us. We get caught up in this way of thinking and behaving. Just if I just just had that or this. It'd be sweet to trust in Jesus, but what I really want is this. The rich are referenced in James 1. I alluded to that passage earlier as fading away in the midst of their pursuits. Let's look at this. James 1, 11. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flowers fall, its beauty perishes. That's the analogy. So also, here's the reality, so also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So fading away is something that happens over time. Before we arrive at the end of something, there is normally some sort of process to get there. And James says the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So it seems to be a slow and steady path that the rich are taking over time that will lead them to the eternal miseries, plural, that James talks about in the James 5 passage. Multiple miseries are in store for those who ultimately trust in their riches over God. So James 5.1 says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. The warning in chapter 5 is more like an EF5 tornado spotted on the ground that's coming your way. It's, it's an abrupt warning, but the warning that's the warning I heard about in Kansas. But in the James chapter 1 passage, the warning to the rich is more of a warning that I heard in Illinois where I lived for 21 years. I lived there for over 20 years and every year there were warnings issued about the dangers of rip currents on Lake Michigan. You're like, really? Can that happen on a lake? This lake is just massive, people. Look at it on a map. It's huge. It look, When you're standing there, On Oak Street Beach or North Beach, like downtown Chicago, it's beautiful. It looks like an ocean. And it's an ocean look-alike that's surrounded by millions of people that want to cool off from the blazing heat and Midwest humidity. And now because of the way that the lake is situated, it's got like two long parallel shores. There's these rip currents that are created because the wind can just be really strong there. If you've ever heard about the Windy City, yes, The wind can just rip down the lake in an unobstructed fashion, and it can create these strong, dangerous rip currents on Lake Michigan. It's a massive lake, and this is the crazy thing. Rip currents don't pull you under the water. They just pull you away from the safety of the shoreline, and it can be slow, and it can be imperceptible, But it's one that will end in tragedy nonetheless. Every year people die in Lake Michigan because they're just swept out to the lake. Imperceptibly swept out. And that's what James warns about in chapter 1. Riches or the pursuit of them can pull us away from that which can really provide us safety and a sure footing on the day of judgment. So don't let the false comfort of riches drag you away and out to a sea of destruction someday. Miseries, miseries plural, are awaiting for those who trust ultimately in their money, is what James says in 5. 
And it can happen over time, as he says in James 1. You can just kind of, in the midst of your pursuit, you're just drawn off to a sea of destruction. So that's why he says in 5, Come now. We ask ourselves as we move out of verse 1, well, what does that condemnation look like, you know? What, what does that condemnation look like? We'll look at verses 2 through 3. This is what James is led to say. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. The very basic problem with any temporal blessing that we have access to is namely this. It's temporal. It just won't last. It just will not last. It might last a long time, but it won't last. Everything that we cling to for comfort here is sure to fail in its long-term delivery. There's no extended warranty that will cover the damage to our little false comforts when they eventually burn in the fervent heat of God's just wrath. So these verses, verses 2 through 3, are like a rapid-fire depiction of how wealth, if it's only being used to benefit ourselves, will end up spoiling and going sour and will be evidence against us on the day of judgment. Look at these words. Riches. Rotten, garments, moth-eaten, gold and silver, those precious, most sought-after commodities, corroded. Rotten, moth-eaten, corroded are not words that I want to have describing that which I find my comfort in. If they do, that means my comfort has a shelf life and an expiration date. That's what we're meant to see here in verses 2 through 3. This stuff will not last. It won't stand the test of time. Over time, it will wear out, and at the end of time, if what you've accumulated and trusted in is worn out and withered away, what hope do you have in escaping judgment, is what James is going to say. So running contrary to this, Jesus actually gives a better investment strategy in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19. Let's see what Jesus, our teacher, tells us. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. You see where James is getting his source material here. He remembers a teaching or a teaching of Jesus passed down to him. He says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here. You're very susceptible to corrosion and corruption. People can just break in and steal it all, and it's gone like that. So what does the condemnation look like? It's you putting your trust in something that just will not last. So let's look at verses 4 through 6 and see why are the rich condemned. And then we'll arrive at a so what, so now what moment. Why are the rich condemned? 
verses four through six, this is what James is led to write. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you have kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts, oh my, look it up on your own. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter, and you have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. When you see what these categorically rich people were willing to do in order to construct a life of comfort, it's clear that their condemnation is just. It's going to be hard to argue about, yeah, they didn't deserve that. So first notice this. Let's look at this together. They've devalued and they've defrauded those they employed. In order to build a life filled with temporal blessings, they exploited those that they employed. The laborers who did the hard, bent over work of mowing the landowner's fields was kept from them in a fraudulent way. And the landowners did this so that they could have both their linden-like grass and their workers underneath their feet. They were living on the earth a self-indulgent life filled with luxuries that they lusted after. They had no need for God to indulge them if they could so easily self-indulge with opulent feasting and drinking and carousing and carefree living. The problem with a self-indulgent life is that the self replaces the one who is the author of our lives. And so Paul writes to Timothy in his first epistle, he says this, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. At least in our text today, James at least identifies that the self-indulgent are still alive. He says this, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, but all that they were doing with their time remaining in their lives was fattening up and awaiting a day of slaughter. Man, James does not mince words here. Look at those verses. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. And finally, notice verse 6. That, uh, that's not what you want to do with your life. Finally, notice verse 6. They were condemning and murdering innocent people that actually put up no resistance to their oppression that was fueled by their own self-indulgence. Man, that sounds very familiar to what Jesus underwent for us. The one who was truly rich, who became poor for us. I went back in the Gospel of John, thinking about the interaction between Jesus and Pilate and the crowd and the scribes. John chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate said, hey, hey, I find no guilt in him. Okay? John 19, verse 4, Pilate said it again, I find no guilt in him. He's like righteous, he's innocent. But the angry, self-indulgent crowd wanted blood to be spilled. And so in John chapter 19, verses 5 through 6, so Jesus came out 
wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Three times I find no guilt in him. And yet we all, those truly guilty with sin, cry out for the innocent one to be murdered. This is something that we all need to repent of, whether we're rich or we're poor. And so in summary, the rich in these verses were hoarding wealth exploiting others for their own personal, temporary, self-indulgent pleasures while unjustly condemning and murdering innocent men. I would say that condemnation seems fitting in light of what we just summarized in the form of multiple miseries coming upon them, deserved. So that's the passage. And so now we arrive at now what? (laughs) So now what? We know what James was saying, so now what do we do with what James has said to us? I want to point out a few things. It is so important to listen carefully right now. It is important for all of us to see this, that the people are not condemned because of their wealth, but because of what they were willing to do to get it, and for what they did with it once they got it. They were serving it as if it was their God. They had an unquenchable desire for more of it, and they were willing to cut throats to get it. So once again, we must believe Jesus when he said that you can't serve God and money, so stop trying. Jesus says the truth, his word is truth. He says you can't do that. So yes, maybe wealth can bring about a temporary surface level type of ease and comfort, but it won't last. So it's important to see that these people are not condemned because of their wealth, but because of what they were willing to do to get it, and then what they did with it once they got it. And that reminds me of a teaching of Jesus in Luke chapter 12. The words will be on the screen. Starting in verse 16 of chapter 12, Jesus tells them a parable. It says this, And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. That's great. You want that if you own land. You want the land to produce plentifully. Nothing wrong with that. We praise God for that. But this is where it goes wrong. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
the point of the story is actually found before the story is even told. I told the story from verse 16, but verse 15 says this. He said to them, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Covetousness. Like I said this before, I think that's the reason why it's the 10th commandment. So once again, owning wealth. Listen, we all here own a little bit of wealth. We do. And owning wealth is not bad per se, but hoarding it. Knocking it down, knocking down our current barns to build bigger ones is what Jesus called foolish. Do we really need endless amounts of upgrades in order for us to feel comfortable? Maybe you don't need to upgrade your barn, but do you ever feel pressure to upgrade your phone or your data plan? or your security system, or your car, or your boat, or your house. When is enough enough? In the areas that I just mentioned, and I could go on and on and on, when is enough? What's enough? In a sense... Every time you upgrade in one of those areas, there's potentially less invested wealth in the kingdom of God. And so Paul tells the Corinthians, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The point is this, use your wealth that you have been given wisely. Make a good investment in things that will last. Don't just build a bigger barn. And then take all the stuff that God has given you and say, it's all mine and I feel pretty comfortable now. Instead of using your wealth wisely to make a good investment in things that will last. And so Paul charges Timothy to light a fire under the rich in his congregation in Ephesus with these words. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of their riches. Don't be proud about something that could just go away like that. But on God... Why? Well, he richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So the wealth that you have been given has been given to you by God. And yes, for your enjoyment. Well, how do you enjoy the wealth that God has given you the most? Well, by doing good with it. By being rich in good works to be generous and ready to share. That's how you can really enjoy this. Instead of being safe and cocooned in this life of comfort that you've constructed for yourself. Look, I want to I give this. I want to be available to give this away. That's how I can really enjoy it. Didn't somebody famous once say it's more blessed to give than to what? Receive. They are to do good. 
to be rich in good works. What type of works? To be generous, ready to share. And when you do that, you're actually storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for their future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. I'm saying that to me who is continually tempted just to upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. I'm reminded of the old hymn that says, share your rich resources, give, and then give again. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And so I love the scripture or the, the song that was played right before the message time. You can have all of this world, just give me Jesus. And the reason that's true is if Jesus is all you have, he is more than enough. You've been richly blessed, as we all have, for those that have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So now share our rich resources and give and give again. So let's pray, and then we're going to sing and have a final message of benediction that will be brief. God, I pray that we would hear this word today. God, I pray that I would hear this word today as I've thought about it all week long, trying to consider these things and what does that look like in my life and in the lives of people I truly, dearly love, the people that are hearing this message, whether online or whether here in close physical proximity of my voice. God, I pray that we would all learn to trust you more instead of our finances and our life of comfort that we can accumulate and build for ourselves. God, I pray that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and then watch you add all the other things to us and give you praise and glory for all those things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.